Well, good morning, Crossroads. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor of students, and it's great uh, to be with you this morning. It's an exciting day as we kick off a new series, which asks uh, a, a big question. What would Jesus undo? And if you're like me, uh, this question brings back memories to a different time in our worlds where Blockbuster was on every corner, where uh, frosted tips was a viable way to style your hair. The Backstreet Boys were still cool. And if you were a Christian teenager, uh, you were, or trying to impress a Christian teenager, if you're trying to date one, uh, you would put uh, a bracelet on your wrist that had the letters WWJD, which asked a similar question, uh, what would Jesus do? Those bracelets were designed to ask us the question, to get us to be thinking about how we can align our lifestyle and our choices to look and reflect Jesus. These were, that was a good question, and it became a popular thing to do, uh, the beautiful time of the 90s. And today's question is similar, but also a different question. Uh, the question is, what would Jesus undo? Are there things in our world, mindsets that we have, practices, behaviors that Jesus would challenge and invite us to undo? And for the next couple of weeks, we invite you to keep coming back. And in fact, we're even launching groups. We invite you to get plugged in to a group during this. You can find uh, the information for that on our website. Uh, but we invite you to, just to dive into this question because we believe Jesus wants to challenge us and challenge some mindsets we have. And today, we recognize that Jesus wants to challenge spiritual indifference. This attitude, this mindset of indifference that we sometimes have towards the things of Jesus. And you know, a couple of uh, days ago, I was writing an email, and I have to say, midway through, I knew it was, uh, it was more than a, it was a normal email. It was a special email, right? It's like perfect. In fact, I believe I was in the middle of writing a top 10 email of all time. I mean, it was that good. I mean, the letters were perfect. The bold was perfect. It had underlines. Even the punctuation was perfect. As I read it, I actually began to weep because I was so proud of the email that I had just crafted on my computer. And, you know, as I was, I realized I, I might even be able to make it better by doing a little bit of reformatting. And so I was dragging my cursor across the screen to make the adjustment. And some sort of black magic voodoo took over my control, my, my computer. And it highlighted the entire body of the email. And I panicked so much that I hit a button and the entire email disappeared like a mist, like a vapor into thin air. And I almost began to cry. This weeping was not of pride, but of, of pure depression because I thought I had lost perhaps a top 10 email of all time. And then I remembered that my computer has a function. If you hit Command Z, if you own a Mac, this is Tech Tips with Dustin. If you hit Command Z, it does the undo. And you could literally undo any mistake that you do in a word process or any sort of thing. If you hit Command Z, it will undo all of the mistakes that you made. And in that moment, I hit Command Z with like power and the top 10 email came back and I was excited and I pressed send and nobody ever responded to me. <laughs> Thank you for feeling my pain. I appreciate that. But as I, as I think about the command Z function and how easy it was to undo some things, I wonder if in a moment of reflection, if we could ask Jesus if there are any things in our lives that he would command Z out of existence, what would those things be? And the beauty is, I believe Jesus is not only willing, but he's also able and he wants to take things in our life. And maybe there's things in your life that you realize, man, I wish I could undo them. 
And most times in our own life, we don't have power to do those things. Command Z doesn't work in real life, but, but we're going to give Jesus permission and authority today to look at our life and see if there are things that he wants to undo. In the first week, we recognized he wants to undo spiritual indifference. And if you follow the life of Jesus, you recognize that every time he encounters spiritual indifference, he doesn't just kind of let it slide. In fact, every time he tackles it head on, he faces it head on, he challenges it, and he encountered it a lot in the religious leaders of his day. And every time he challenged that mindset of spiritual indifference. And today we're going to dive into a piece of scripture that's not found in the gospel, so not in the life of Jesus, but we are going to hear the words of Jesus. We're going to dive into a book that's often misunderstood and, and mis, uh, misquoted sometimes probably, uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, in Revelation, what we know is written by a guy named John. He was exiled on an island called Patmos, and he had an encounter with the living Jesus. And Jesus showed up to him, and he began to speak to him, and he showed him visions of all these things about the way Jesus wants the world to be and about how the new kingdom is arriving on earth and how Jesus is ushering a new way to be human. And, and we see this moment in Revelation, John begins to write it down. In the first few chapters, uh, Jesus and John have had a conversation. And Jesus has given some prophetic words to John. He wants to speak to, to the churches in a place called Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. And he speaks to these seven churches, and he offers challenges. And, and John writes the book of Revelation as the words of Jesus that he heard from the mouth of Jesus. And he writes to the different churches. And each church, he, he finds a piece of criticism and a piece of challenge to challenge them out of some of their mindsets that they've had. And we finally get to the seventh church, a church we're going to focus in today, a church found in a place called Laodicea, the seventh of the seven churches. And Laodicea was struggling with spiritual indifference. And so as we dive into this moment in Scripture together today, we recognize that Jesus is, is seeing this indifferent attitude in their life, and he's speaking against it. And so we go there in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Jesus is saying, here's my words to you, church. And he calls himself the amen. He says, I'm the final word. I'm the end of discussion. Then he says, I'm the faithful and true witness. Right? I am the one who will speak up for the truth and speak against the, 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 the truth. I will speak up for truth. And then he says, I am the, the source of truth. I, am, I was there at the creation of, of God's new creation. I was there at the beginning. I am the source of truth. Jesus is saying, I am the truth and I speak truth. Here, uh, the words of truth, I'm about to speak to you, church. And he's speaking to this church in Laodicea who has specific problems and he's about to speak truth and he wants to make sure they're on board with them, that he's saying, this is the truth that I see in your life. And you know, I think most of us would be willing to say that, hey, I love truth. Truth, I'm a, I'm a truth person. I want to stand for truth. In fact, not many of you would be willing to stand and raise your hand and say, I hate truth. I prefer to live in untruth and lies. That's the kind of, no one would really willingly agree to that. But I think we also have to acknowledge that sometimes the truth is challenging. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. 
I, I came face to face with this about a year ago when I was driving from my house uh, to my parents' house. They live in the Detroit area, and I was going for a couple days. And so I got in my 2010 Ford Edge. Everything was ready to go. I put my son, and his, he was nice, buckled in his car seat. And I have a giant 100-pound dog, and I chucked her in the back seat. She's fluffy, and she's all there. We're all ready to go to my parents' house for a couple days. I get gassed up, and we're heading out on the road. And if you've ever been in my car, and especially if you've driven my car, you might notice something a little different because uh, I'm the kind of person who has all the engine lights on in my car. <laughs> right, so you might freak out, right? But one time I went to a mechanic, and the mechanic said, Dustin, if the engine light's on, you could literally drive to the moon and back. And I said, challenge accepted. <laughs> and since then, I prefer to ignore any time the engine light is on. And so all sorts of things were blinking at me, but I was like business as usual. Uh, and we're halfway into this journey, and all of a sudden I hear a ding sound, and the beeping or the light is flashing at me, right? And it's like everything in me wanted to say, to, to ignore this light and just keep going on my way. In fact, the first time I saw it, I just kind of hoped that it would go away and kept driving. And my car began to shake and the engine was making weird noise and I'm no mechanic, but I was like, that sounds like death. <laughs> so I pulled to the side of the road and I knew I had to deal with the problem. And as I was facing the reality that something was seriously wrong with my car, I had a choice to make because everything in me just wanted to ignore the problem and hope I made it, right? I wanted to gamble and hope I made it home, and I thought it would be so much easier to just deal with it later, right? If I wait till later, I can be in my parents' house. We can give the car to a mechanic for days. I don't have to be pressured by time. I can have just some, some help there, and I don't have to figure out what to do with my dog or my kid, and I can just deal with it later. Everything in me wanted to postpone the problem uh, because dealing with the problem in that moment was costly. I knew that it was going to cost money to fix the problem, and I wasn't sure I had enough money to deal with the problem that I might face, and I was worried about what the bill would be. And then I was worried because I don't know where to take my son or my giant dog, and I don't know where I'm at. And there's, there, I don't know any mechanics. I don't know. So I just, I'm calling. I know I had to, call, would have to find somebody and beg them to take me. It was almost closing time. And I knew it was not only costly, it was inconvenient, it was uncomfortable, and it was messy to deal with the problem in the current situation. But as I had to come to reality about the car problems I was experiencing, I realized that dealing with the problem now was way better. As costly and inconvenient as it was, it was way better to wait to hope the problem will solve itself. Because if I would have kept going, I was risking my car's life, I was risking costlier repairs, even potentially getting in an accident that could have hurt me and my son and my giant fluffy dog in the back seat. And I knew it was risky to go to not deal with it. And so I, I found out in that moment that sometimes the truth, the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is hard to deal with, but it's essential, it's necessary in a life of victory. It's necessary, it's better than the alternative. It's better than pretending like there's not a problem. And so today Jesus starts his letter by saying, hey, I want to speak truth to you. And, and guys, this, the rest of this letter is challenging. And, and my prayer for us today is that we're challenged by the truth that Jesus brings in our heart and mind. And, and, and the truth isn't always easy. In fact, most of the time it's uncomfortable because you have to uh, recognize that there might be some things in your life that need to change. But I, want, I think Jesus is asking us this morning if he has permission to take a deep look in our heart and, and to be real with him and, and to deal with the truth because ignoring the problem is a much worse alternative. 
And that's what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. He says, I'm the truth. Listen to the truth. Let me challenge you with truth. And he says this in verse 15. He says, I know all things you do. That's a scary thing for Jesus to say, maybe for some of us. I know all the things you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. See, Jesus is, is seeing their, the indifference that the people have towards him and, and towards the things of him. And the, he looks at his church and he recognizes their attitudes and mindsets are not on him. In fact, it's kind of reached this kind of stale attitude. And Jesus looks at the water supply in Laodicea and see, Laodicea had everything that they could possibly have. It was a rich place, had all sorts of fancy things, nice buildings, nice clothes, everything. It was a center of wealth and prosperity. And there was only one box that wasn't checked in living in Laodicea, and it was they did not have a reliable water supply. You could go back in history if you want to look that kind of thing up. Uh, But we recognize that Laodicea didn't have a, a good water supply. And so in order to help people live there, they realized there was a town uh, to, to, to one direction, about 10 miles away, that was known for their hot springs. And so they built an aqueduct to carry the hot springs into Laodicea. And there's another town in the opposite direction that was known for their cool mountain runoffs. And so they, they, they took an aqueduct and carried the cold water from there. Hot water was medicinal and it helped people. Cold water was refreshing and it had a purpose. By the time that the water made its way into Laodicea, not only did it lose its temperature, it began to collect debris from the top as as things would fly into the top of the aqueduct. And then the materials they used to build this aqueduct would begin to seep into the water. And so if you lived in Laodicea, you lived in a, a great place that had everything you want, but the water was disgusting. And Jesus is looking at them and he said, the way you treat me, it's like your water supply. It doesn't just make me sad. It doesn't just make me angry. It doesn't just make me upset. It it turns my stomach. Jesus says, your attitude towards me makes me want to vomit. It makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. That's how Jesus deals with the indifference he sees. And guys, I think it's easy to kind of, you know, point your fingers, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, this indifferent attitude can be fairly pervasive in our, our life. Kind of this idea that, you know, you wake up and it's like, man, should I go to church this morning? Ah, you know, eh, we'll go next week. Should, should I turn off Netflix and, and, and maybe spend some time in a, in a devotional or lead my family in a time of prayer and, and try to look towards the things of God and, and maybe take a break from entertainment? Ah, one more episode. Should I, should I serve and give my time to be the hands and feet of Jesus? I know it's going to sacrifice my time, but, you know, ah, you know, I'll, I'll do that next time. It's like, should I give to support the mission of Jesus and, and, and invest my, my resources in, in the mission of Jesus? Or, ah, it's tight this week. I don't know. And it's easy to have this mindset. It kind of invades our heart and our mind to have this whatever attitude towards the things of God. And Jesus looks at the indifference he sees and encounters, and he says, it turns my stomach. He keeps going. He says this in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus sees them, and it's like, you think you got it all together, but I see what's really happening. I see your heart you don't recognize what's going on. You don't see the problem that, you're, that you have in your, in your life. And he says, I see it. I see all things that you do. 
And he calls them out. He says, what's fueling your indifference is you're living in this concept that we're going to call the myth of self-sufficiency. Jesus says, you think you got it all figured out. And there's a couple phrases that I think exemplify this attitude that we can have. And the first one is this. It says, I don't need any help. Right? This idea says, I've got it all taken care of. I have all that I need. I don't need anything from you. In fact, this city was, was known for that kind of attitude. If, uh, there's a historical account a couple years before this letter was written and delivered to this church where uh, there was an earthquake in the region that was devastating. It, it, it took over buildings and collapsed cities and it ruined families and it destroyed property and lives. And the Roman emperor and the empire decided that they needed to send some resources to help rebuild what was destroyed. And so they gathered all sorts of resources and they brought people and money to show up to help build back the infrastructure that was destroyed by this earthquake. And they showed up in Laodicea and said, here we are. And the Laodicea said, no, 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 we're good. They refused the help. They said, we don't need it. We're good. I've got it taken care of. Right? And there's a part of me that hears that and kind of admires it, right? It's like this American, I can do it myself spirit. And I, I love that about them. But Jesus looks at it and he says, he says, that's fueling your indifference. You don't think you need help. And the problem with that is you're looking at yourself and you're like, I can do it myself. I don't need you, God. I don't need you to help me. And you begin to elevate yourself to the position of God. And so now you no longer need a God to look to. This attitude can kind of jump into our hearts and minds. And it's the myth of self-sufficiency. It's thinking we're all good and Jesus sees that we're not. And it's fueling the indifference we can often feel towards Jesus. The second thing that the, the, the myth of self-sufficiency says is this, this. The words that say, I'm fine. Right? Which is similar to I have all that I need, but also different. I'm fine is this attitude that says, I see that the engine light is blinking. I know there might be a problem, but I'm going to put a sticker over the engine light and keep driving forward anyway. I'm going to ignore the problem and hope that it goes away on its own. If I'm honest, this is the one that I think I struggle with the most because it's easier just to, to, to tell yourself that things are fine. And it's self-deception. In fact, often it's willful ignorance of problems that are going on in your heart and your mind. And we prefer to say, I'm fine, I've got it taken care of, I'm good. When Jesus looks at our hearts and he says, no, you're not. You're not fine. It's the myth of self-sufficiency and it's fueling the indifference we feel towards Jesus. And the final one is maybe the, perhaps the most common one today. It's this idea that the final phrase is, I'm too busy. We, we, we fill our lives with so many things and so many different places to be in sports and family and school and careers and, and work and, and entertainment and iPhones and, and Netflix and TikTok and all these things we fill up in our life. Many of these things are good things. But we often wear our busyness as a badge of honor, as if what makes us valuable and important is how busy and how packed our schedules are. And when we get so busy and so distracted with things, it chokes the life out of our faith. And even in pursuit of honorable things, we can forget things of Jesus. And it says, I'm too busy, I'm distracted, I've got so much going on, I, can't, I don't have time for this, Jesus, I don't have time for this. And it's the myth of self-sufficiency, and it's fueling the indifference that we experience in our lives. So Jesus takes a hard look at them, and he says, this is what I see, this is the truth, this is the indifference that I encounter when I'm in my relationship with you. 
Uh, but th- if, if I ended there, it would be a fairly depressing moment. And, and uh, the beauty is this, Jesus does not end there. There is a verse 18, and Jesus says this. He says, so I advise you, this is the advice of Jesus. And as you uh, read it in Scripture, it's in red letters. Jesus is, with his very words, giving advice to the church in Laodicea. And it was designed for them because they had specific problems that were pulling them away from the heart of Jesus. But as we dive into their problems, I believe that Jesus wants to, to help us in our problems. Jesus wants to give us options to change. And, and guys, I just want to let you know that, that there's always time and room for change. And Jesus said, here's my advice. Here's what I would change. And he goes this. So, I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. He sees their lifestyle and he knows it's often marked by this pursuit of wealth, pursuit of comfort, this pursuit of having more stuff. Because Laodicea was this fancy place filled with rich and fancy people and it was all sorts of markets and all sorts of of banks and all sorts of places to exchange gold and become more wealthy. And people, they were often just pursuing more. People's values and people's priorities were shaped by how much they can get. And Jesus says, listen, you have to change your priorities. He says, instead of pursuing and chasing wealth, things that are not eternal, things that will pass away, he says, instead, pursue valuable things for me. He says, pursue me, and I will give you something of value that will last forever. The things that I will give you in life, the value that I will give you does not fade away with time. And if you go back and look at the opulence of Laodicea right now, it's a city in ruins because the things they were chasing were not eternal. And it's so easy for us in our lives to begin chasing things that don't matter. More wealth, acquiring more things, more comfort, more experience, more happiness. And Jesus says, you can change your priorities. And he says, by doing so, you look to me and I will refine you up like gold in a fire and I will get rid of the impurities and I will get rid of things that don't lead to life and you will become pure when you look to me. Jesus is one to ask us a question, I believe this morning. It says this, do you need to let go of something? Is there something you're chasing? Is there a priority that you have in the wrong place? that Jesus is inviting you now to, to let go of? Do you need to change your priorities? He, he gives more advice here. He says, also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. See, this is a town that was also known for fancy people with fancy clothes. And there's actually, a, they dug up a, a, a street that's clearly a marketplace that used to be filled with all sorts of fancy things you could buy for yourself. And you could clothe yourself with all these amazing different colorful garments and you could look the best. And Jesus looked at his church and he said, you look just like everyone else. The things you do, the way you clothe yourself, the stuff you wear, the, the stuff you participate in, it's just like everyone else. Saying, instead, I want you to turn to me. Clothe yourself in my ways, in, in righteousness, in doing what is right, doing what it, I am asking you to do. Jesus says, instead of doing what everyone else does, imitate what I'm doing. Jesus is inviting them and inviting us to change our practices. And I think, guys, it's so easy for us to let things seep into our life 
practices, behaviors, attitudes that come into our life that we know are against God. And if we were honest with ourselves, we know we have been participating in. And the question I think I want to ask today, maybe is the toughest question of the day, is this, is are you justifying sin in your life? Sin hardly, sin hardly ever likes to call itself sin. It likes to hide and disguise itself of something that's good for you and, and might be better for you. In fact, I remember having a conversation with an acquaintance I knew in college, and, and he was in the process of realizing he's made some terrible mistakes and, and, and trying to continue living in the same ways. And I remember him saying to himself, wouldn't Jesus want me to be happy? He loves me. Wouldn't he want me to be happy? And if pursuing this makes me happy, wouldn't, doesn't Jesus want me to, to be happy? And he was convincing himself that this action that was clearly sinful that Jesus would kind of be okay with. He's rationalizing this, this ungodly behavior, and I think it's easy for us to rationalize unhealthy behavior in our life. It's easy to justify sin, and I think Jesus wants to ask us today if, if there is sin in your life, and maybe there's a specific thing that came to your mind as I'm talking about it. Listen, I'm not God, but I think God wants to deal with that thing, and it can be hard to deal with because it means you have to confess that you have something going on in your life and you might have to tell someone else. But, but guys, it's way better to deal with the truth of sin and recognize there's a solution for it than to pretend it's not there. Because that's like driving a car with your engine light blinking on you and it's going to blow up at some point. Jesus invites you to find white, to, to get rid of shame and nakedness, to find white clothes, to live in righteousness, to change your practices. The last piece of advice comes at the end of this verse and he says this. And you can buy for me ointment for your eyes that you will see. This is the last tidbit you're going to learn about Laodicea. Uh, but it was also a place that was known for developing an ointment. It was some sorts of minerals and stuff that they put together in like a lotion that, that actually worked to help people see better. And people who were struggling with blindness from all across the, the known world would just come to Laodicea just to hopefully get some of that stuff to put on their eyes. And Jesus is looking at his church and he says, how ironic is it? The people who live in a place that's the center of vision are so blind to the things of God. So instead of turning to them, he said, turn to me. He says, you can change your perspective. Jesus invites us to change our perspective. Now, this is something I struggle with uh, pretty consistently in my parenting journey. I'm a dad to a four-year-old, and, and it's easy, I think, as you parent a, a little kid to get so focused on the little details of life. You know, uh, sometimes parenting becomes about making lunches and driving kids places and, and giving discipline and making sure his bedtime is okay and trying not to let him have too many cookies or donuts or, or all these things, right? You get kind of caught up in this and maybe he says something weird and you have to give correction and it's easy to kind of get lost and lose perspective and get caught up in the tiny details of raising a kid. When meanwhile, Jesus is reminding me, hey, I have given you this amazing responsibility, I've given you a life to shape and mold and lead towards me. I've given you responsibility to help him grow to become a man. And how beautiful that is. And so many times I'm, I'm so worried about making a peanut butter sandwich that I miss the beauty that God has put in front of me. I think it's easy for us to, to lose perspective and we focus on the meaningless things and we lose sight of the eternal things that Jesus has for us. And so my question today is this, is there something in your life that's blinded you, that's affecting your ability to see what Jesus is doing in the world. Jesus is finishing up his letter to the church, and in verse 19, he says this, 
says, I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from indifference. Jesus is saying this, there's good news, church. You don't have to keep living in indifference. It doesn't have to be this way. It says, in fact, if you're feeling challenged and if you're feeling a little bit upset because Jesus is speaking truth to you and you don't like it, it's because I love you, Jesus is saying. And I think back to that light on my car that was blinking and as annoying as it was and as much as I wished it went away, that saved me from, from spending so much more on my car later. And it potentially saved me from having a, an accident or even worse, it, it saved me as much as I hated to admit it, that saved me. And the voice of Jesus is here and he's knocking at some of our hearts and he's, he's inviting us to change and to be diligent and to turn from our indifference to look at our life and be real about what's going on. And maybe there are some things you need to change. Maybe you recognize you have misplaced priorities. Maybe you recognize that you need to change some practices or maybe you need to adjust your perspective. Jesus says, I'm, I'm doing this out of love. And the, the last part of this scripture is perhaps the most famous part of this entire book. And I'm sure if you've been around church, you've heard it before. Because in verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, look, Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The God of the universe is knocking at our door and he is inviting himself to come into our life to share a meal with us as friends. And then he says this in verse 21. He says, those who are victorious, those who open the door, will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Because here's the reality, I believe this is true even in this moment, in this place, that Jesus is knocking at our heart's door. The heart of Jesus is, is never to barge in. He's looking for your permission. He's looking for you to, to say yes. In fact, if you are reading this, that might, this might remind you of another time Jesus was telling a story about a party he's throwing, and he says, he says I'm gonna come back, and he's inviting himself in, and he says, some of you will be sleeping. But he says, if you're awake, open the door. And the indifferent, light, the indifferent life stays asleep and hears the door knocking and says, somebody get the door. I can't be bothered to get out of bed. But Jesus is still knocking persistently, consistently knocking for you. And I, I believe Jesus wants to invite some of us to make changes today. Maybe you, maybe you see the indifference in your life and you just want to make a commitment to, to, to change your, your perspective, your priorities. Maybe you, you felt yourself saying some of the, the myth of self-sufficiency and Jesus wants to attack that. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to a next step like joining a group this week or in the next coming weeks or, or maybe Jesus is even responding to you now. And I think ultimately I want you to know this. Jesus is, is here and if you've never said yes to Jesus before, guess what? He's knocking at your heart's door. He sees what you've done. He knows it and he loves you anyway. He died for us anyway. He invites us to new life anyway. And he's consistently, persistently knocking at our heart's door. And the question is, how will we respond? And so as the band plays, whether you're watching online or wherever you're watching or here in this room, guys, we invite you just to respond to the good news of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's standing. Maybe it's saying a prayer in your seat. Maybe you need to come forward up here. But Jesus is knocking at your heart's door. And here's what I know is it's possible for you to leave this room and, and, and not deal with it. And that's okay. Man, what's better is to deal with the truth, to 
face it and open the door. Jesus, thank you for this moment. We recognize that you are bigger than our problems and you don't just tell us about uncomfortable things so you can throw it in our faces. You're not here for condemnation, but you're inviting us into, into you're inviting yourself into our life to share a meal as friends. And Jesus, that meal is what leads to life. And so many times, God, we, we turn to other things. But in this moment, help us to to, to turn from our indifference, to be diligent as we look in our, our heart, to be honest with ourselves as you have been honest with us, God, and, and find new life in this place this morning, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.